Welcome back to Coaches on the Beach, and today we have one of the most respected coaches in the country, David Fisher. David is the associate head coach for the indoor and beach team at UNCW with a focus on the beach program. David, it's great to have you on the show. Hey guys, thanks for doing the show. Like You're doing all the work, I just get to show up and talk about myself. So let's do it. <laughs> um, David, you are one of the most fascinating people that I've gotten to hang out with in beach volleyball um, from the time at Coastal in South Carolina. I feel like I've been around you for eight or nine years. Uh, <clears throat> I guess I would love to start with your hidden talent that maybe your team knows for sure, but um, other people might not playing the piano, right? How did we get started in this? Where has it taken you? What is it like now to have this virtuoso talent, but also coaching volleyball? I was going to keep it a secret in case there was ever like a uh, a bet played where, you know, if you can play that tune, you know, you get X number of dollars. But since you let the cat out of the bag, I have an older brother, Bill, who's three years older, and he was an accomplished piano player when he was in the fifth grade and I was in the second grade and I was just playing catch up. So I had nine years, 10 years of classical lessons growing up. Then I had to major in something to finish my degree, so music it was. Then some old folks' homes with dementia, and you could play uh, the same songs over, and a lot of them had shorter attention spans, or you could repeat. Um, but yeah, Nordstrom was a, was a part-time gig in high school and college. So yes, if I walk past the piano, I feel a responsibility to play it until they kick me off, or my friends say, hey, let's go. <laughs> and so... You took all these years of classical piano, um, and then you did music in college, correct? Mm-hmm. All right, so so tell me what it's like to be a music major as somebody that, uh, for the little class I did go to, it definitely didn't involve music. I think some people say that music is related to math, and I think I was good at math till about seventh grade. So maybe there's something there because I'm still figuring out what's my musical abilities. Um, I just think that it's okay to major in something that doesn't lead directly to a job and is something for the soul and something you have with you for the rest of your life. Because when you take a job, you can learn what you're supposed to do at that job. But music is something that... Uh, you know, I can go a few years and not play, and I can still seem to remember a lot of the things I learned, and I can play a little bit by ear. So I just, I just enjoy having a background in it, and I think it helped my brain too growing up because I think I have some attention issues, but being forced to sight read and practice and play and memorize music, I think is great creativity brain training. Do you have a favorite song that just flows from your fingertips, makes the brain start to hit different wavelengths? Um, I think uh, the favorite composer is Bach. And I think if I walk past the piano, then, then I'll just go with whatever mood I'm feeling at the moment. Um, I didn't plan for this. This was spontaneous. But, you know, if I'm feeling kind of mellow, like I'm just, just at home, maybe like, a little Chopin.
but there could be Bach. You know, if you need if you need a workout, there's exercises. And so on. But uh, yeah, we could have a whole different podcast on just, okay, can you name a tune or play a tune? But yeah, it's a hobby that that stays with me. And I always felt like I would do sports as long as I could and then maybe hop over to music. This is definitely a first for our podcast of uh, somebody actually showing us their talent on uh, the podcast. I'm, I'm going to try to cut it up and increase that volume. I, I don't know how well the listeners will hear it, but it was flawless. Yeah, Thank I you. was yes. impressed with the, the one after the Chopin was like the little exercise, doo, 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 which I've definitely heard about 10,000 times, um, but I've never watched somebody just walk over to a piano and, and start hitting a beat. So um, quite impressive, right? You studied and uh, learn more about music at Stanford University. Uh, I believe um, some folks may have heard of it. Tell us a little bit how you got there uh, and what led you to playing volleyball there and that whole shtick. Yeah, I wanted to go to Stanford out of high school, but they don't let everybody in, and I was one of those people, and I did my freshman year at UCLA, and I really enjoyed it. They thought I was too short to be a middle blocker on – their indoor volleyball team, and long story short, I was on the rowing team for a year, and I could have stayed a music major and stayed at UCLA, and I was settling in, but I tell people to go for it and take chances and get out of their comfort zone. I know it's cliche, but I applied as a transfer. I wrote a better essay. I had good grades my freshman year, and I was able to walk onto the Stanford men's volleyball team, which was challenging and great. And I enjoyed the college experience. So since I'm in the college space, I try to uh, let other people uh, feel the joy that I had in college. I just think it's so formative and so there's such an opportunity there. That's awesome. And in 92, you guys made it to that final four, that, that top of the peak for the men's game, yeah? What was that team culture like? What what was that feeling of getting to that big show, that big dance? Right. Uh, there are guys that we just did an anniversary of that or a reunion of that group. And there are high achieving guys that can carry a conversation and are ultra competitive, but they weren't in the same aggro sort of way that they were in the UCLA gym. We weren't punting balls in the practice. We were more talking about who would be the tertiary passer against a jump top serve. And we just tried to be as technical as possible. Two-man serve receive, technical swing hitters, undersized. But uh, but we were good, but there were a lot of good teams. And damn it, we ran up into a, a good Pepperdine team in the final. Um, but it was, it was uh, just fantastic to be a part of such a hardworking group and the final four was where was it muncie indiana it was mm -hmm. a little sparse but great to grow the game and bring it to different parts of the country yeah and those are both such slouch schools um, both academically and in the world of volleyball um, i mean there's only i think stanford and ucla like to compete for who has the most national titles uh on a given given week and then 
um, clearly top academic universities. So from there uh, was the thought, oh, I need to go follow my peers and get one of these NASA, right? I'm going to take my music degree and I'm going to show you how Bach will get us to Mars. Or how did you get to volleyball coaching from there? Right. I think having the the luck of having parents who were supportive and uh, I don't know, enabling is that the wrong word, but they, they allowed me to not just, I perhaps could have gone to law school and followed my dad's footsteps, but they were supportive of whatever I thought was exciting to get into. And when I thought, well, let's train to be a, a semi-pro beach volleyball player, they, uh, they didn't shame me away from it. And I just decided I didn't need to just chase the big bucks and go for the business degree, the law degree. I didn't go very far in the sciences, but I know some friends that did it and I'm really thankful they did because if I need a good lawyer or judge or a uh, business <laughs> degree guy, like I've, I've got a Rolodex. Yeah. Is there a, the most famous alumni that you maybe still keep in touch with? Anybody we would know? I feel like on the team, Ryan Moose is hard to to beat. Just just as being out there in his own special way. But Canyon Seaman was a pretty good setter. I think while he was in college, he took a fourth on the AVP. Dave Goss was a pretty dominant right side player. Is pretty funny in the locker room, but not as funny as Bobby Hillman. Um, John Rebar was a good friend. We would come in for extra reps of passing. Um, head coach Ruben Nieves and assistant John Costi would always tell me, why don't you play beach? Um, it might help your indoor game. But even though I was from Santa Barbara, I didn't grow up playing beach. I didn't really play more than about 10 days until after college. So after college, I thought, well, I'm a 6'3", former middle, trained to be an outside. Let's see if I can, uh, how far I can go in this beach game. And I was able to travel and sort of be a break-even player and just kind of kept at it for 13 years just got addicted to the travel and the friendships and the training and uh, just fell in love with the sport. Yeah. <clears throat> and on, oh. Go ahead, Colin. I, I was going to say on tour, uh, what would be the thing that you're most known for, right? When people think of David Fisher or they hear he's playing at this event, what comes to mind? Well, I would usually call Dave Williams one of the, directors of the AVP and say, hey, do you have any parking spots um, for my 1983 Airstream motorhome? Because I could get to town a couple days early and park with the trucks or park by one of the tents, maybe keep an eye on things uh, like a JV security guard. And I might be traveling with one or five other AVP players. Um, good friend Jack Quinn was part of our volley trolley tour. But we did those to some AVP events and also to a lot of semi-pro you know, if you put an event with $2,000 prize money two days or $5,000, you're going to bump into people you know. You're going to – I do better in those tournaments because they're not as strong. And I actually remember uh, some of those tournaments as much as any ADP tournament. Now, the, this this tour that you went with your, your motorhome, you got to have some good stories from the road. You, you got any that are rattling through the mind right now? No, we pretty much just read quietly and uh, just practiced for five hours a day and, you know, taught a clinic here and there. But it was it was pretty low key. Just find the hookups and 
just keep the airstream running smooth. That's good. You know, I would almost believe you, except um, I think you and I did a clinic in Colorado this year where I got to learn this lovely story of your trip to Denver, uh, where maybe something caught on fire and half your wardrobe at one point was made up of somebody else's wardrobe. I'd like to say it was my jump serve that caught fire. Um, I did remember a good jump serving match. I was playing in the uh, Pan Am Games in uh, Dominican Republic, and we were playing uh, Paraguay, I think. And I wish that that was the story, but no, I had a yeah, I had an Airstream motorhome overheat, and the next thing I knew, I was wearing uh, King of the Rockies. Tom Davenport gave me a whole wardrobe and luggage, and then the Crocs people they gave me some clothes. And everyone chipped in and just like got me a new wardrobe like that. So pro tip, if you want a new wardrobe, just have your uh, Airstream motorhome burned down on way to a tour and take down all of Ryan Mariano's stuff with it. He wasn't in there. No one got hurt. But live and learn. Now I hire, hire better uh, electricians. That's awesome. Yes. Do you still drive the Airstream? Yes. I have uh, one up in my keeper. I have another one as a, like a fix up project that's currently for sale in Wilmington, if you know anyone. Um, but I'm just addicted to the, uh, they, they last a long time. And I do think the do more, see more, live more, uh, mentality from the Airstream founder, Wally Bynum. I don't know how to say his last name, uh, is, is still, um, appropriate. That's, that's great. And so you, you get to have this, luxurious uh pro career and then all of a sudden you're finding uh, a coaching spot it, did it happen right after you got done with playing or was there a time in between there i had no paid coaching to help me out really because i can't afford it you know the, the aspiring pro beach volleyball player doesn't have uh a lot of funds but later in my career one of my partners was able to bring in a coach who was uh phenomenal and then i became a practice player for some women's pro top teams top two three four teams so i got to work with some of the best in the business then i heard college beach volleyball was going to become a sport and i thought i have a unique background as a player and practice player and coach with people and i played in college indoor so then i thought this seems like a fantastic career um because it, it involves helping people, but also using so many different acquired skills along the way. Okay. And then first coaching job, was it, was that Monroe or? While I was getting a master's uh, at Cal State Northridge, uh, there was a junior college that uh, hadn't won a game for two or three years, uh, Oxnard College. So they needed a coach. And I'm a sucker for a... Uh, for a comeback story. So um, the first year, I think we had one or two wins and the next year we started off five and zero. Oh. Um, I found some assistant coaches just wandering around the Ventura Camarillo area, uh, Jill Changaris Muhe, an ADP pro who now has a PhD and she's been a head D2 coach forever. And then Brooke Niles, um, who's, I think she's somewhere in the beach volleyball world, but I forget. Never she's, heard that name. Yeah, she's <laughs> yeah. I'll vouch for her if she needs a letter of recommendation. Yeah, just in case this uh I heard she might have wound up somewhere in the panhandle. 
um, married to some some guy. Right. Who may have played or not. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's Lucerne or something or uh, Lucia. I forget. I just remember his partner, some tall, lanky guy, Phil something or other. Right. Yeah. Right. Dolph Dolphiner. Something. I hope I people show up on the sarcasm and don't think. Yeah. Don't... <laughs> yeah. Well, we could Google it. <laughs> and then you end up coming here to Monroe at some point or another. Your your legacy still lives here. You had a couple All Americans. You you take the team to NCA or to the AV, AVCA championship with a couple pairs. You get to upset UCLA. What what was that whole experience like? And if you can walk us through that UCLA match, that's probably one of the greatest upsets um, still to date. Um, the first year at Monroe, Louisiana, um, and I was starting their beach program. Uh, it was a lot of incredible things happen all at once. One is I get there early February and I find that all the players are gone for about eight days for Mardi Gras break, which <laughs> being a Californian, I did not know was a Louisiana holiday. You really take the week off for Mardi Gras, which is throughout the whole state, not just, not just um, Baton Rouge or not just what's the New Orleans. But I told the players, hey, if you want to stick around and practice volunteer style, like Michael Hobson, um, I'll run some practices for the people who stay. And we had about five or six players, and we knew we had a top pair. And because we knew we had a strong top pair, that's probably why ULM decided to start a beach team. And I think a lot of beach teams are started because the university knows we've got a strong pair or a few players that we think could make a splash on the national scene. But we didn't just have those two. We had five or six players, seven actually, and they said, seven is what you have. Just win at the ones, twos, and threes. Because 10 are how many you need on the roster. So I said, okay, let's, let's go. And then I complimented the middle blockers whenever I could about their hand setting and said, could you come out on Fridays to help us just block and serve some balls? Um, long story short, our top pair, T and Z, have a great season. And we've split with UAB and Georgia State. We beat Tulane three times. Uh, there wasn't yet a program at LSU. Um, but it came time for the national championships, and they needed three schools to represent the East Coast. And also there was invitations for the top pairs. So um, the head uh, indoor coach and the assistant for me, beach coach, I was the head, Pat Hiltz, had a team meeting and said, hi, team. Congratulations. T and Z have qualified for Gulf Shores, Alabama, national championships, ABC, and let's go. And they cheer. Yay. And he said, and also the whole team qualified. And there was not quite pandemonium, but there was just just a palpable sense of amazement because we had pulled in the middles. We had, uh, you know, right-sized people that had never played beach, but we did enough to get the notice of the committee. And then the top pair did pull off. We, I think we went over as a school. We lost 3-2 to Southern California in a loser's bracket game. I think we got smoked by Florida State. But... Leading up to Sunday in Gulf Shores, 
I saw that our top pair was playing. Maybe it was UCLA's twos, but a very strong pair. And I opened my condo door at the, what's it called? The Gulf Wind Breeze or whatever. The, the, they give you the free condo in Gulf Shores. I opened the door an inch and a half and it slammed all the way open 180 degrees against the other side of the door at 6.15 in the morning. And I thought, oh, we're going to win. Which is a great thought to have when you're playing a strong. Tanya Sukach is Ukrainian and a ball control wizard. And Zuzana Markova from Czech Republic is a six foot setter ball control wizard. And they're competitive and physical. And uh, it just it just was uh, so windy too that that I had them serve underhand at some point because that was the only serve that would go in. And it was fairly close, but not all that close. And the next year, a top pair with Marcela Araya from Costa Rica, we beat USC's twos, like with the Kelly Clays and, and somebody. So she's not a four-year All-American. She's only a three-year All-American. <laughs> so anyways, we had some top pairs at that ABCA, which was the most elegant end-of-season tournament you could ever design. They did it perfect, where the school championship ended Saturday, the ones and twos from those schools would be in a round of 16 to play Sunday with some pairs that had been playing qualifier matches leading up to it. So everyone's equally tired and they would name a national champion top pair and the schools have won the day before. So I hope the NC2A will listen to this podcast. I'm sure they are. And they can just see the roadmap for how to add a Paris championship and give the, the NC2A trophy they deserve. Speaking of that, you've been around since the game since day one you're super well respected throughout the beach game the indoor game i've had multiple coaches uh talk to me about your coaching style and how well versed you are about different things that are going on in volleyball in general so just kind of wanting to get your ideas I, this is usually a question that leads into our last question of what do you want to see next but what have you seen change throughout the years of the game of beach volleyball? Well, as far as the college game goes, there was a very much open-minded, Wild West, uh, welcoming um, feel to it. And there still is, but I want it to keep keep uh, refreshed. I want, it, I want there to still be... We're still a, a new sport. We're still small and emerging and we need more people to join. So I think there was more flexibility with how we should do things. And now it's becoming slowly more regimented. And I, I just so excited about the possibilities of how our sport could lead into uh, and grow. Um, the obvious answer is when the sport first began, the ones and twos, were were polished beach volleyball players and the threes maybe the fours and fives had some people that had been playing the sport for four months or three months now at the fives it's not uncommon to find hand setting jump serving aggressive players not to mention the risk taking early on was very minimal there was float servers there was a lot of teams just not hand setting at all and the feeling was, why give up a point when you didn't have to? Kind of like a Misty Carey Olympics feel. Um, 
But uh, even with our ULM team, Blanca Ocaña from Guatemala just has a cannon of a shoulder. She's ripping jump top serves into the wind. People see the advantages. So kind of an all over the place answer, but the game is getting more aggressive. It's getting a little bit locked in and I don't want it to get stale as far as format. Um, but the level of play has gone through the roof and we need more schools to open up so all these talented juniors can uh, play somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but the, the fives recruiting, you know, fives pair recruiting now compared to even just three or four years ago, um, just the caliber, the quality of athlete is constantly uh, rising. And, you know, you mentioned trying to keep it fresh and new. Um, are we talking on a scheduling front? Or are we talking on a presentation front? What's the, where does it start to stay out? Because to me, I feel like I'm learning something new every week. I've had nine Southland Conference phone calls over the last six weeks that have kept me on my toes plenty. Mm -hmm. um, you could take any topic and uh, magnify it and say, okay, here's, here's an opportunity. I think scheduling for the remote schools is a challenge to bring in three strong opponents. So, you know, be careful what you wish for. I don't like being told what to do. Maybe it's human nature not to want that, but but I would like to see uh, if you have a D1 program, I feel like you ought to be at the nearby D1 programs. That's what you signed up for. You know, you play sports, you go home and away places, not just the, the free-for-all scheduling that we have now. I also think the format, um, if you have 18, 22 players on your team, why do we limit it to five pairs scoring versus five pairs with the sixes playing exhibition? Um, so I would like to see the excitement about the tournament format that everyone grew up with playing beach volleyball brought into the college game. There used to be a lot of pairs events, even in the spring, and those have really withered down. Um, but they could come back in a, in a heartbeat. It's just coaches making decisions and committees and conferences making decisions so I think, I think there's excitement ahead if people are willing to keep the fresh ideas coming. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is let's um, let we everybody's been fighting about lineups for what the better part of a year and a half now. How should we pick our lineups? What are the rulings for when somebody gets hurt? Let's do a, a pairs tournament uh, where everybody submits their six pairs and you know almost treat it like golf. Right, where you take your top five scores and and we'll run it over two days. I mean, I'm in. I, I'm not sure what we have to do to get all the other coaches in the country to to buy in. Um, change can be scary, right? So, what's your sales pitch? What's the? I think what's best for the kids, and if football teams have 60, 70, 80 people on there. Um, why not have a school represented by an army of 50, 60, 70, 80 beach volleyball players and go to a beach that's got all the nets, run a run a double limb bracket, and like you said, just how they do in cross country. Your your top if you finish first and fifth and ninth, and that's your best three pairs, you probably did better than most of the other schools there. So you add up how they did. There's Fears of, oh, what if you play yourselves? Well, golfers play their teammates and 
uh, volleyball, beach volleyball players, whenever you train with someone and then you go play a tournament in Phoenix, well, of course you're going to be playing your friends in the match to get in or in the first round of the qualifier. Like it's, it's, it's voodoo magic. Um, I just think if we cut and pasted a lot of the lineups language from tennis to get something going, I really appreciate the people that did that. Brilliant minds got our sport going. Now let's figure out if, uh, because your best player doesn't have to be on the ones, what's, what's a way to make a fair uh, contest between two schools? And it's, it's not an easy problem to solve, but let's have more than one solution. And uh, there doesn't have to be one executed. There could be different weekends with, you know, if I wanted to invite Coastal and say, hey, let's play the best five of nine, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that but I don't see why we couldn't agree to do it. Yeah. This is where I think not just your background, right? Obviously your background is unique. Um, studying music. Maybe, maybe your dad as a lawyer has played into this in some way, shape or form. But um, I have always appreciated how, no matter what, when we're having a conversation about what to do or what we should change, um, you've always come at it with the perspective of what's going to be best for our student athletes. Uh, and I, I find that to be a great guiding light um, and very interesting. You know, what was there an experience that you had to tell you this or is it kind of innate? I, I think that coaches have an unbelievably powerful ability to influence the, the students that we get to coach. And I think there's responsibility to give them our best ideas, to be good role models, to teach them conflict resolution, and to help them live better lives. So if we show them that adults can play nice and come up with great ideas and make some spectacular mess ups along the way in the pursuit of amazingness, then I think we're modeling the right behavior. I have six nieces so in England, I'm known as Uncle David. And I'm like, you know, my nieces, they have perfect West London British accents. And I have four nieces in Santa Barbara. And when I spend time with them, I come back to practice a little more creative, a little more reminded that people's minds wander and they want to be pushed, but they want to have fun and they want to be challenged. So I think the the uncle david side of me wants what's best for for the people around me that that is a very unique perspective and it, it's it's super eye-opening to hear it's coming from your nieces um i i too have two nieces but i haven't seen them in a year and a half they live up in virginia area i get to finally see them this thanksgiving which will be a joy um but you, you seem to draw on everyone's perspective and you, you kind of, you have a way of having your opinion, but being able to listen to other people's opinions, being able to listen to other people's perspectives and kind of making a compromising point, um, some, some other types of situations where like, let's problem solve in a way that's going to be beneficial for everyone. And that's something that I've seen you do in work with, with our conference, 
uh, this conference tournament weekend that we're having mid-year, um, we're, we're having the, the distance fight. Because you guys are all the way out east, we're all the way in the Midwest, and we come out to you, like it's going to hurt our student-athletes. Um, you guys have to come out to us, same thing. So we're trying to figure out Atlanta, Huntsville maybe, um, but with that problem-solving perspective, it is I'm get like I guess what I'm trying to get to is did that come with your schooling did that come with solving puzzles like where did that mindset come from I've I've been lucky to be on soccer teams and basketball teams I was in a kind of snobby but but I think pretty damn good high school choir with a with a strong leader um, some good volleyball teams and I think you see how different teams operate, but beach volleyball especially, we're in the problem-solving business and understanding the perspective of the player who's terrified or the player who's overconfident or the player who's stressed with her homework or family life allows one to uh, give, them, give them some steps that might help replace whatever path they might not want to walk down. So I've just embraced always the feeling I'm a, I'm a middle child and I like to help people. And I think in beach volleyball, especially there's problem solving and being on a team is really about teaching empathy and not straight democracy, but taking viewpoints into consideration and finding out where there's flexibility for the group. You know, I've borrowed so much from Beth Van Fleet, Georgia State, you know, once you pick a restaurant, you've upset three people and you've made seven people happy. And she's just delegated that. I think that's genius. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm a fan of giving players autonomy and letting them committee it up and figure out uh, how to do certain um, team tasks. And I think that's part of the product that we offer is uh, what's the the mantra for the USA Coach John Kessel is uh, making awesome leaders. I think I don't want to just steal his his phrase, but I do think that's that's a great uh, goal for people in our profession. Yeah, it's so funny that you bring that up because I think I've had this uh, very similar discussion. Maybe fitting because you were my mentor uh, via the AVCA for a whole year, so I'm probably just stealing it all from you. Um, but earlier, you know, had a had a couple of requests. One of which just about sending uh, my pra uh, you know, hey, do you guys want the practice plan for the week uh, in advance, or do you like coming into the locker room and um, getting it, you know, morning of, right? So we practice at eight. So at seven forty-five, you can come in. You can see what we're doing for the day, and and we can go from there. Um, and I had about nine say that they wanted it. Uh, in advance and I had two that had expressed concern about uh, getting it there like oh it might make me feel a little overwhelmed and what I desperately wanted was I wanted a conversation where we all tried to get the perspective right okay and then where can we where can there be flex how can I get you nine this but also you two this and and where can somebody give a little something or other and um and I did get the response of, uh, well, why don't you just decide since you're the coach? And I do find 
it very funny because I, I <laughs> at many levels, right? I don't want to decide. Uh, I've at some point I'm gonna have to make somebody unhappy or happy, and this feels like a very not trivial, but on the scale of important decisions, whether I do this thing on Sunday or not feels like it might be on the lower end. There was a brief mentor of mine who uh, sadly passed away, Greg Giovanazzi, who had some, I think it was more on the indoor side, but he had national team experience and he became the Michigan coach. But he would post the, uh, the stats, you know, like a North Carolina soccer guy. Um, and he said it's important, A, to respect the jersey, B, to own up to your results from yesterday. So he would post it on a board where anyone could look at it, but they didn't all have to go over and, and stare it down. So then as you're describing, okay, do I come up with practice plans for the team? I think, okay, yeah, you have to make a decision, but also have we considered all the possibilities and is there a way to put the board somewhere for the people that want to see it and the people that want, it's like, do you want to see on the bracket who you play next if you win? I still don't know what works best for me, but I think it's better if I don't go out of my way to find out. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's coming up with creative solutions and then figuring out how big a deal is X, Y, and Z. All right, the breakfast, breakfast buffet wasn't open at the hotel because it's seven o'clock on a weekend. How big a deal do we need to make this? That's a lot of our sport you know the other team's taking a medical and we think they're cheating or lying or something do we want to make a big deal of this and probably it depends <laughs> but <clears throat> about michael's pairs this weekend at our competition uh arguing some calls out here not that my pair didn't argue straight back so i'm not sure either one of us is better than the other but it is funny that's the point that we brought up <laughs> there can be some uh some spiciness and i think that's uh that is part of our sport. Got to show you care sometimes. Yeah, just hungry to win. Hungry to win. <laughs> but uh, you've also had some great experience in building programs too. So you, you built this program, you, your JUCO that you were in California with, ULM, and now UNCW. You've been there since the start. What are mm -hmm. some coaching tips uh, for, for schools that might add in the future or coaches that are looking to start a new team culture uh, start a new trajectory for their team. What what have you found in your experience? Coaching tips. I think uh, listen to the Coach Your Brains podcast. Um, I think I listened to the first like 40 episodes and now I'm getting about every other or every third one. Not to, not to sorry, highlight a competitor on the middle <laughs> of your show, but Coach Your Brains Out, the podcast with Billy Allen and John Mayer and uh, Andrew Fuller, and Niels Nielsen, um, it's it's absolutely incredible what they've put together for people. Um, shadowing other coaches that they have access to for camps. Um, it's amazing how much time and access we have with our college players, but there's nothing like running a, a six-hour day at a camp with high school kids where you can spend a day on offense and then spend a day on defense. Um, so if someone can help work your camps or volunteer, hang out, you find there's 30 different ways to run a drill and what to emphasize. And to me, I would say 
big picture is let the players see that you support and believe in them. Uh, if a player suspects that you don't believe in them, you've lost them. So a large part of our job is not saying the dumb thing. And we do it all the time, but to really limit um, the way we express when someone is, uh, is not making a change we think they need to, to make. Other than that, I think any drill can be better. Um, drills are fine as long as we work to make them somewhat game-like at times, somewhat going over the basics. I think players like to know why behind a strategy. If you tell them a strategy without the why, they'll remember what they did before. Like they won't hold on to it. And then just rolling with the, they have busy lives. They have social lives. They have academic lives. Um, this is a thing that they do. So getting the most out of them when they're ready to go and giving them some grace when they're overwhelmed with the workload. You know, we had uh, seven pairs go to South Carolina last Saturday. They each played about four or five matches in one day. This could never happen in the spring. You know, our sport doesn't seem to allow it anymore, but they loved it. But on Monday, after they did a stretch out session and weights and our practice is off in the lunchtime, I just thought, ah, it's not quite warm enough outside for them just to go lay out by the pool. But we just had a big fat lunch in Wagner Dining Hall and just told stories about the weekend. That to me was a way better use of practice time for that Monday than getting a 90 minute uh, workout in when they haven't recovered you know, fully from they don't need to recover fully, but just understanding um, as best you can what they're going through, finding the ones who uh, want to be pushed, finding the ones that just want to get along and how to push them and expressing confidence in, in players, which is hard to do once you've made a lineup. Once you've numbered them, uh, you're going to have some longer discussions. And if you're fair, to everybody, the top pairs will appreciate it. They don't want to see a teammate. You know, if, if you say that this is a match to make the travel squad, I'm not saying that's a good or bad idea, then you better make it fair and you better follow your word. Um, so be careful the promises you make. But there's just no one way to warm up, no one way to do a drill, no one way to make pairs. And just let them know, hey, we're figuring this all out, and I'm going to do it different next year. No, I, I was curious. I, I think it's all amazing, right perspective to have. And um, I was curious if you do anything in particular from a day to day basis that helps you um, refocus, right? Because sometimes I'm sure getting caught up in the busyness of life can make it hard to always remember, hey, this is best practices, right? This is what I'm doing. How do you how do you get back to that guiding light? So when you're a semi-pro beach volleyball player, you don't make a lot of money. Of course, you're paid great gobs of money when you get into beach volleyball collegiate coaching. So now we don't have to worry about it. But, <laughs> but as a teacher, I remember thinking, I might be okay at teaching because I can explain things to people who want to learn things, and that's my job. But teaching isn't just explaining to the top 10, 15% of the class that wants to learn, it's motivating 
the middle 70% why they should be excited about this problem or this topic. So I think that coaching is finding ways to create that, like paint a picture, like give them the dream and then help them take steps towards it. And I also remember from teaching that if you stay up till three, four in the morning, coming up with a perfect lesson plan for the next day, your energy is going to be terrible and it's not going to go well anyway. So, so sometimes I will let myself go do a workout or get some sleep that I need or treat myself to some good food because if my mood is all right and I'm ready to tackle the practice and greet people with curiosity and energy and enthusiasm, then it's going to be a better practice. And do I sometimes get stuck and figure out what to do next? Sure. But we can always play speed doubles or queens on a few courts and put a couple uh, a couple points of emphasis on it. One team, you're going to jump top and handset mandatory. And one team, you have to skyball and run back sets. You know, let's, let's run a test and see who wins. Like you have some fallback drills you can do when you run out of ideas. But to me, uh, being healthy and being a good role model that way is more important than if I have the perfect practice. And I've had seasons where I write out every practice plan. I have it available in a shared Word doc. And I have some practices that are sort of off the cuff. Um, but I just try to begin each practice with what's important today. They haven't touched the ball for three days. Okay, that's, that's relevant. They just played with the same partner for two weekends and we have an off weekend. Let's have them interact with everyone else on their team to reconnect. These three players didn't get to travel. Let's do something that's fun and, and gets them feeling back included with the team. So each day is, a, is a, again, problem-solving task for uh, how to bring the team together. What's the most successful you've ever felt at the end of a season? Uh, and then maybe conversely, maybe what's the least successful and, and what kind of led to those experiences? Ooh. Um, fortunately, you know, I can remember the piano songs I learned growing up, but once a season has gone by, I don't think of, you know, there, there's teams that overachieve and teams that underachieve a little bit, but I don't think back and say, oh, that all needed to be different. I remember individual players and the feelings of, oh, did I do the best to get to do right by that player or, um, you know, you remember the ones who had a great experience or that maybe had a terrible experience more than the ones that were right in the middle. So I think more about what I remember the most is the players who were struggling and they call for a meeting and the one-on-one -on -one, um, meetings. We'll go for a walk. We'll grab a coffee. We'll talk about what's really bothering them. And they often say it right at the very end of the meeting. We'll, they'll say, hey, can I come in and watch a video? And I'll say, sure. And then we'll watch video. You say 30 minutes, but it goes 45 or an hour. And then on their way out the door, they tell you why they asked for the meeting. Those I remember and those they remember. So giving 
players a chance to to voice what's on their mind and uh, work through stuff. Those, I remember those as much as any practice. And those are what I'm going to take with me, you know, when I move on to the next profession. When you get back into music. When, yeah, when I dive right into music. Or, uh, yeah, my brother's an entrepreneur doing tech stuff in London. Like, maybe we'll go into business somewhere together. Who knows? Real estate. Try to keep keep it creative. But I, I love what I do. And I, and I also find that people, whether they're coaching 10-year-olds or 15-year-olds, we all do the same thing. We all have this responsibility to be good role models and be influential to these kids that don't get to hang out with adults much. And it doesn't matter if you work with high school kids or, or just thinking about the indoor game. There's some amazing D1 head volleyball coaches, but odds are the top, if you looked at the top 10 coaches in the country, maybe six of them coach a high school we've never heard of. Just, just what are the odds like that they've happened to go into this very narrow, uh, NC2A regulated industry. It's super cool, but it is super small. What is next for UNCW? What's the vision for? I get to work with 20 indoor student athletes, uh, on a six days a week, I get to work with the 10 beach only players that make up the bulk of the beach team. But then we're given anywhere from four to eight players off the indoor team. And we've had, uh, we got beat up a lot in the CCSA when it was all just the big, the big hitters. Um, we had some close duels and we had some minor victories here and there. We, we were tied for third in the Sun Belt, which uh, felt like a good finish to a season. Um, or no, in the, in the A-Sun for, for the first year in the A-Sun. We were allowed one year in the A-Sun. Then we switched to the Sun Belt. And that feels like a great uh, level of competition. Although my alma mater, have you heard of ULM? They beat us in the loser's bracket of, of that tournament. So uh so yeah no ice cream no we don't do it, punishments. it, was, it um, was out of straight respect show, <laughs> it, show you that your legacy still lives here if i had to lose to someone i'd happy it, that it was a uh, a program i help i help get going um <laughs> i think i think uncw is going to decide whether it like any school when you offer to begin a sport what funding levels are you going to give it are you going to give it the full-time head coach, assistant coach, the full six scholarships, or is it going to be a mid-tier sport? And those decisions are above my pay grade, and I haven't fundraised enough to uh, give it the budget. But I think we've always had phenomenal athletes off the indoor team, and we have a really hardworking, knowledgeable set of beach-only studs this year. So we hope to be better than last year, and we hope to uh, – be competitive with anyone we're across the net from. All I know is I'm very grateful to have you in the sport and have you doing it the way you do because uh, much akin to Beth Van Fleet, who, you know, we talk about Beth, I don't know, probably once an episode, but uh, I think we've, we've worked the ratio down maybe just a, just a hair um, hair now when we talk to a West Coast or a club coach, sometimes that doesn't come up. Uh, but as far as your perspective, right, it's always uh, 
I feel like refreshing is probably not the right term. Uh, maybe maybe centering is, is it's a lot closer to a, a journal session than it would be to a uh, maybe watching a documentary or I guess maybe it's how I feel when you watch Food Inc. You know what I mean? You you realize you want to quit eating meat ever again. <laughs> I've, You're like, I've purposely never watched that because I don't want to give up meat. Gotcha. Did you ever watch when you were teaching? Right? Did you watch Super Size Me, or did you ever have a class watch Super Size Me? um i think i saw it and then i ran to mcdonald's um i think uh the power of of advertising is undeniable uh so yeah i've i think i'm good at eating like i've always enjoyed eating and i uh I find it hard just to give up things. And one of my pet peeves in life is people that aren't open. Like if someone says they don't like a food they've never tried, it really bothers me. And I've had great friends ask me like, why does it bother you so much? And I guess, I guess it's because it doesn't affect me like whether you've tried rhubarb or not. But, but I do think that, that it's an indication of a, uh, like is the world basically dangerous and disgusting or is the world basically delicious and uh and enticing and i'm not saying just to take reckless swings like with trying everything that you see but um but i think the pendulum swings where people are more or less risk averse and to bring it back to beach volleyball i think our coaching task is to allow people to understand that not taking certain risks is is a is a horrible risk to take See, even right there, right, we, I tried to take it off under this humor. This is my fatal flaw, right? I try to take things off under this slightly humorous tangent to get away from maybe actually diving into something serious. And in such a disarming and jovial way, right, you've you've reeled it back into a life lesson um, and a, an overarching theme. And that's a skill uh, that if they ask me for a superpower – tomorrow, uh, I would probably request that superpower. So, um, well, if you listen to a concerto or a symphony or whatever, the, the opening theme, uh, is often repeated back in the, uh, in the final finale. Um, and the, the middle part is fort spinning, fort but we, but we get, we get to the coda eventually. <laughs> What about, you've traveled quite a bit for your pro days, for your coaching days. What What's one meal, since you are a big foodie, that you've had during your pro days or with your team that has meant more than just the food in front of you? Whoa. Um, that's a great question. We, when we have a team dinner, we often, you know, are you going to go to uh, McAllister's or go to a chain, Jimmy John's or something? Or can you go to this great Mexican restaurant like Los Portales, which is actually authentic Mexican food in Wilmington because no one's ever had a bad time in a Mexican restaurant. It's a bumper sticker I saw. <laughs> so, so I think that, that that was, there've been so many experiences. My personal best accomplishment of my twenties was I was driving cross country right after graduating college and they give you a, uh, a steak dinner for free at the big Texan in Amarillo, Texas. So that was my, that was my uh, most exciting meal, certainly of my twenties. Um, but taking the team, you know, if, if you 
when we would take the team to South Carolina and we're there, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, we would take a, a night and go to Thai food over in West Columbia. And we just discuss, you know, is it boba tea or bubble tea? And what's, someone's got to Google it. Is there really a right answer? Can you, can you love someone who calls it the wrong thing? But I think putting together team experiences is, uh, we've had some family dinners. We had uh, Lexi Hamilton, who was a Florida player, and then our team was able to take a spring break trip to her parents' house, and they, they put together an unforgettable spread. My dream for this spring is to uh, have the team train and compete in Southern California. Many of our players, accomplished beach volleyball players, have never been west of like Colorado. So can we get them to Southern California and uh, get people to host us? Part of why I think the sport is becoming a little rigid is people are afraid to play maybe three matches in a day. Can they afford all the, um, you know, the flippers and the shaggers and all the, the staff to do it? And if a school just opened tomorrow, would they have a hard time scheduling? Like, I want us to be as welcoming as possible, but I do want to have the team take tour of, so if they're listening, which they won't, but the plan is to have them hang out in Santa Barbara for a few days, and then we go play um, a couple California schools while we're there. Would you be open to playing a school from Louisiana? In California? Let's meet in Santa Barbara. And uh, Hey, whoa, 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 I can't meet in Santa Barbara, but uh, I <laughs> The could. solution is a sleeper bus. If we just get – I forget the driver uh, at ULM. He's probably the same driver. Roy? Um, yeah, I think that's him. Um, he kind of uh, clicks when he's when it's late in the drive. But if we could just convert one of those buses to a sleeper bus with some flat out bunk beds and just leave at 10 p.m. and arrive where you're going the next day at 10 a.m., two drivers, that's the way to do it. Yeah, but that sounds awesome. I mean, what a wonderful goal. Um, we should probably ask, I mean, we've talked about it so much. But we should ask our, our final question and see what amazingly intelligent answer you come up with. Uh, but what do you want to see from the game of NCAA beach volleyball? Ooh, I think uh, I think it's a travesty that Nuss and Cloth didn't win a ring for for being the best pair. So the top pair, I think it'd be sweet to have that in the spring when the dual sport players could do it. But I'm bendable and say okay. We can we could do it. So it's it's on its way with the ABCA Fall Championships. Um, I think do away with the one up one down rule. Just have the coaches take a right arm up in the air and say we're in the order of strength, or put a weighted scale system to the to the lineups. Because even before beach volleyball started, I put a post on volley talk because I heard the format and I thought. Oh, interesting. What if someone takes their ones and makes them twos? And we just we sh we shot the idea back and forth about giving more points to the ones and twos. Um, I do think it's cool when our players can see their teammates play. So playing all five at once, I've never enjoyed. I also don't like doing a format just because that's what they did last year or that's what they do at nationals. So many conference tournaments say, oh, we got to play all five at once. So the sixes can't play because that's how they do it at ABCA Gulf Shores Nationals. And I'm like, 
Well, in the finals, they stagger it. So in the national championship finals, they start with, I don't know, the twos and the fours, and then the ones and the threes. So if that's the argument, then let's make it a genuine discussion, and let's stagger it so that the audience can get invested in the match or two that they're watching. You can't watch five matches at once. So to me, keeping flexible with, can we still have the sixes play? Can more teams play? Can we not do all five at once? Because you really all can't offer meaningful coaching with three coaches to five pairs at once. And we usually travel with one coach. So uh, that's a few I could go on. But I also think coaches should be honorable and not speak if they're not supposed to speak. If a player talks to me when I'm in the coach's box during a game, I just smile. Like I don't talk back to him. So when other teams say, well, everyone's already cheating. So let's just allow talking all the time. I was like, let's, let's keep um, that part of the game uh, sacred or let's, let's not just let coaches talk all the time because that's what we do. Uh, well, you're the reason I continue to love this sport and I greatly appreciate the excitement that you bring. So thank you so much, David. And thanks for coming on Coaches on the Beach. Uh, I have a bumper sticker for the Airstream. The next time I see you, uh, we're, we're going to start giving out little stickers, Coaches on the Beach stickers to people who have come on um, as sort of a thank you and a little memoriam of your uh, hour of your life that you'll never get back. And so we appreciate that more than anything. Well, I'm sorry you have to edit down everything I say because I babble so much. Thanks for doing the work and putting out uh, a product for the niche group of beach volleyball coaches. And uh, I look forward to seeing who else you get on the program. I've enjoyed all the episodes so far. Well, thank you so much. And I can't wait to see you two times at least this spring. That'll be, that'll be fun. Yes, dare to dream. All right, we'll talk to you later.